0: You know, change management goes well beyond project management. We have extremely important work to do in building change management as a strategic capability in organizations.
1: Have you ever gone through change in your personal life or at work and thought to yourself, there must be a better way to do this? Welcome to Unchange, the podcast that explores change that works and the people who make it happen. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Pietro Dupisani. Today, I'm interviewing Tom Masecono. He is co-founder and director of Ant Change. Welcome, Tom.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me here, Petra. It's really a pleasure to to be with you again and uh, to talk about our favorite topic,
1: One of my favorite speakers on change management is Tim Creasy from ProSci. Here's his take on how people might think of change management.
2: And so I'm going to tell you a story about the Easter Bunny. It's what I call the Easter Bunny paradox. And your religious affiliation matters not to me for two reasons. One, you know of the Easter Bunny, right? And two, you know it's not real, right? Okay, so bear with me, and I'm going to connect it back to value management. It's about eight years ago, my wife and I are sitting on the couch, it's around Easter, and I look at her, and I say, when you were a kid, and you envisioned the real Easter bunny, the real one, how big was it? Think about that. And she goes, well, it was about six feet tall. And I start scoffingly laughing at her, right? This is my partner in life, and she is so wrong about how big the Easter bunny was. Because we all know, well, I know, the Easter bunny is about the size of a golden retriever on its hind legs, about four feet tall. And so, being a researcher, I started emailing everybody in my uh, contact list. And luckily, none of you were in the contact list at the time. But I started asking them, how big was your Easter bunny? And some people came back, like, some people, you know, six foot, like, was her answer. That was kind of the most normal. Some people came back, like, ten foot tall. Like nightmare-inducing Sasquatch bunny, right? Some people said it it was like this big, like the size of an actual bunny. Um, And then a few people got the right answer, which is about four feet tall. Now, being the good researcher, the second email went back to him and said, well, did it walk or did it hop, and what color was it? And that's when people started replying, unsubscribe, unsubscribe, right? Stop asking me about the Easter bunny. But here's the interesting thing. None of us have ever seen the real Easter Bunny. Because it's not real. But we all had something pop into our head when we thought about what the real, how big the real Easter Bunny was. So I tell the story in the change management space because when you go out and say change management, you have no idea what's gonna pop in that person's head. They might think communication and training. They might think, oh, you must mean managing hardware, software, version control, Oh, what do we do for our project when scope changes? You have no idea what pops into their head.
1: There are so many different definitions of what change management is. And if you speak to anybody, people have a different idea in their head of what change management actually is. So I was wondering, Tom, if you could tell me a little bit about what what does change management mean for you? What is your definition for change management?
0: Thanks, Petra. Yeah, that's a good question. I think for me it has changed over the years. Managing change is one of those wonderful practices that evolves not only in itself, but also as part of a personal journey. So it has changed for me over time. Right now, change management is the practice that leads people to truly change what they think, feel and do. We do this in an organizational context so that organizations can achieve their strategies. So it's not only about managing change well, it's about managing the right change.
1: So Tom, I was wondering, what made you choose change management as your profession? I mean, did you start off in change management? Uh, Was there a specific aspect of it that made you go in this direction?
0: No, I didn't start off in change management. Um, I started off in business in general. In fact, I started off in IT uh, as an IT uh, professional. But uh, I I chose change management because of uh, a conviction that I could make a difference by applying all that I've learned in my life to helping others cope with many difficulties. They have to deal with i've seen the huge damage that uh, badly managed change can cause even death but i've also seen the wonderful effect of well-managed change people growing achieving organizations where employees and leaders are successful providing a positive anchor for them in these hectic and unstable times
1: you are the co-founder and director of the change management consulting firm and change Tell me a little bit more about Change and your approach to change management.
0: Change is a globally inspired group where an experienced and creative team apply and integrate a unique mix of knowledge and methods and research in this uh, field with a personal flair and curiosity. Uh, We thrive in our diversity, connecting practitioners from around the world, customers in many industries, specialists in various disciplines, all for the purpose of making a successful change.
1: Okay, so, Tom, I know that you started out with change management in the financial and IT sectors. Today, I would like to explore how to use change management in a production environment, which is where I'm from. How would the change management approach differ between the financial IT sectors and a more production-based environment like mining, oil, gas, or manufacturing?
0: Yeah, if you think of the industries, you know, each industry has its own drivers. Some uh, the same as others, but uh, what what we've seen is that uh, what is driving organizations and their development changes over time. I understand that uh, in mining, there is always the underlying drivers of uh, safety and tons. Uh, Get those two right within the constraints of cost and market uh, forces, and we're halfway there. In a service industry like banks, for example, it's about providing a total experience for the customer that builds loyalty and share of wallet. That sounds very different, but go under the covers and look at the way a bank runs its call center operation, for example, and possibly how a mine runs its ore extraction processes. And you may find very similar drivers there. Both are driven to increase efficiency, quality, and consistency. So for example, in the call center, everything is measured down to the second because those seconds are a wasting asset And saving 10 seconds per phone call while keeping the quality of service high in an environment where there are tens of thousands of phone calls being handled every day equates to quite a big efficiency improvement. I'm no mining expert, but when I recently observed a huge open cast mine operating, I could see the same focus on getting uh, the flow of the ore right in each step of the process. So introducing changes in both environments is likely to uh, receive similar kinds of responses. The threat of change to disrupt their efficiencies will be met with resistance. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised by that. It's surprising though to see how similar the resistance is, even if the way it's expressed and the technical terms are different. It's always about building the same five key elements with people to get them to change. So the good news is that a good change manager in one industry can actually do quite well in another because the principles are the same. Just the techno talk is different.
1: I imagine the cultures in these two environments must be quite different. If you imagine a big call sensor versus what you said, the open cast mine, it's a different level of people, different level of education, I guess. Um, So the cultures must be quite different. So let's explore that a little bit.
0: Yeah, so, you know, when you look at these cultures from the outside, you see different appearances. People look different and they seem to act differently. And the importance of culture in managing change has come to the fore in recent years. There's a growing realization that the prevailing culture in an affected area drives different approaches. I think the change management practice hasn't yet mastered uh, this and is one of the big themes we talk about on our website. I say this because you're likely to find multiple cultures operating simultaneously in any area. There's the culture driven by the leader, but there is also the culture of the organization at large and that this group is part of. And, of course, there's always the underlying culture of the society that the organization is part of. I see this a lot when we work in multinationals, for example, especially those uh, that have been around a long time. What we see is uh, that the prevailing culture is not one of these. It's actually a mix of all. So each location is unique. So in one of our clients, the, the same business unit in the same insurance company, but in different locations, will have different cultures. In a change that involved changing the way people worked in this environment, uh, that included office layout, uh, pace of work, the collaboration techniques, and even the etiquette amongst the, amongst the workers. The deployment of this in Mexico, for example, was very different from the colleagues just a thousand kilometers away in the USA. You see the same in Europe, but also in Africa, and so we go. Have you not seen this in mining?
1: Oh, Definitely. I mean, I've worked across the globe as well, and the culture in Brazil is very, very different to, for instance, the culture in Canada or Australia. Mm -hmm. In Brazil, I see a very hierarchical structure. So you'll see if the manager says one thing, then everybody will follow. Whereas if you work in a a country like Australia, it's much more collaborative, and everybody has to buy in. So it's quite a different way of having to apply change management. Right, right. Tom, what do you see as the number one challenge when change projects are implemented in a production environment? So if you think about examples of projects, it could be a new operating model, it could be a new way of work, it could be a new clock-in system, time and attendance system, all of that sort of stuff. What is the number one yeah. challenge that you'd see?
0: Yeah, I think it would be difficult to single out one challenge throughout. But what I have seen is the difficulty management has in balancing the priority of production against the disruption of the change itself. They are squeezed on both ends, you know. On the one hand, they've got to achieve the production targets, but also lead your people through the change, because that's what the C-suite wants. These sort of challenges uh, cut across all levels of management, actually. So the resistance to change is significant. The change absorbs resources, of course. Doing change absorbs resources. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, it's more than money the scarcest of all these resources, of course, is uh, management focus. And the change demands a lot of that. So in an environment where there is only just enough to keep the production going, where do I find more to concentrate on the change? becomes the kind of question that you would, you would hear them ask themselves. Perhaps the easier option is to defer the change as long as possible or do as little as possible. And that's, that's the kind of challenge that we see. In production environments.
1: Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I mean, if a manager is just barely trying to keep a mind making money, so you bring any change into that environment, it just dilutes his focus. Not dilutes
0: the focus. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and if they already, you know, if as a result of uh, previous efficiency drives, we're pushing everyone to the limit, uh, then the next change is going to push us over the limit. And we start to experience something we call change saturation, which sort of happens when The next change that we try to effect in that environment just causes uh, things to go negative, people to resist, and the change actually doesn't take take hold.
1: Tom, it's time for our rapid-fire round. Let's get to know you better. Ready, steady, go. What's in your pocket right now except for your cell phone?
0: Lip ice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what book would you recommend anyone to read?
0: The title is uh, CEO Gandhi. It looks at leadership from a different perspective. And this whole concept of servant leadership has been around a long time. But it's really about making it easy for people to, to grasp new ways of doing things. So, uh, yeah.
1: What do you spend a silly amount of money on?
0: Ooh, lately. Photography. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's your favorite place to go on a holiday?
0: So the best place to go on a holiday hmm, is probably a country I haven't been to yet. That oh, may be the, that like may be that the next one. Tea or coffee? Coffee.
1: Dogs or cats?
0: Maybe dogs.
1: Thick base or thin base?
0: I think a thick base.
1: Some of the biggest changes that people can go through, okay, they say is the death of a spouse or a family member, getting divorced, imprisonments, marriage is one of them, <laughs> moving house retirement, time and selling your house, moving all of that. Has any of those big things happened to you in the last two years?
0: Oh, yeah. In fact, a, a whole, a whole set of those have happened in the last two years amongst, amongst those, you know, losing people that are close to you. In fact, just yesterday I learned of a, a colleague of mine, uh, that I haven't seen for many years. Uh, and I just heard that she, she had gone and, you know, it, it just reminds one of the, the changing nature of life and, uh, And it's interesting, that list that you just mentioned, they're all personal changes, aren't they? They're things that happen in our personal life. We get so worried and taken in by trying to, uh, you know, manage the change in corporate life, but actually it's the personal ones that are the tough ones. So, yeah, had a lot of those. And, you know, the interesting thing, Knowing change management doesn't make it any easier. Mm. Uh, sometimes I think we're change managers because we uh, we find change very difficult. I certainly do.
1: Yes, and we're trying to, trying to process it and make it easier. And also, even going through a corporate change personally affects people. You know? oh. So even learning from our own, own personal changes and bringing them into the corporate life, I think, is a good idea.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the all change, I think, teaches us something about ourselves. And… Uh, you know, when I when I speak to people about change and we talk about the different kinds of change, and we say, well, the one kind of change that starts and never stops is, of course, our life change. You know, we are constantly learning new things about ourselves as we experience different changes.
1: Thanks, Tom. That was fun. Let's get back to change management. The organizational structure in a production environment is usually quite hierarchical. Okay. How important are supervisors and front line managers in a change effort.
0: Yeah, they're normally very important. You know, I call them glue-air. Uh, what do I mean by that? They bring their people from a place of, uh, if you like, ignorance and fear about the, the change to full adoption and usage. They, they do this by playing a couple of important roles with their people, you know, like translating the change into practical and understandable terms, showing their support in concrete ways, coaching and guiding individuals so there's there's a bunch of stuff that they do that's really important and you know it's really important that they do this and not us as the change managers because people really work for their leaders and this is the kind of stuff that really is part of leadership isn't it so for this reason change teams often uh, have many members if you think about that because you know how many people do we need In our change team, well, you know, we could need a lot. I always recommend that the change teams include that vital layer of the, you know, the middle management, the supervisors. Uh, They have a role to play and uh, one that I would never try to substitute.
1: Alongside things that we've mentioned before, sponsor engagement, communication and coaching, we know that training is an important part of change management. In a production environment, it is often difficult to pull shift workers off their shifts to train them. So what do you think we can do to to get those guys trained?
0: You know, I think it's actually, especially these days, when I'm starting to see it, it's a little bit of a of a mindset change and a paradigm change to training. We tend to think of training in the traditional way where we get a whole bunch of people into a room and uh, sort of classroom-type environment and so on. Lately, you know, that's not working. We are getting more and more demands to change the way in which we do the training Break it up into small small bites, if you like. Have people get the knowledge that they need for you know to do the job on the job and near the job. I'm I'm thinking of one case where we work, with the training again. That previous uh, example I mentioned of the open cast mine, where we went to the mine to deliver the training, and in fact we just established a few shacks, and they were sort of the shacks were almost in the walkways of where the miners were walking between shifts. And we only had about 15, 20 minutes with them and we would have to teach them something about the new way of doing things. And of course they, they enjoyed that, especially because we gave them coffee and uh, biscuits and gave them some attention. And, and they really enjoyed that. So, you know, training, very important, still, you know, essential component, but we need to, we need to start doing things a little bit differently, even in that space.
1: Yeah. I think those are great suggestions, Tom. People. Are in many cases like water or electricity, and if you've heard that before, they choose the path of least resistance. Yeah. <laughs> so they avoid having to change at all costs. So, what are some of the tactics that you have used in managing resistance to change?
0: I think in the environment that we're talking about, these sort of heavy production environments, the most effective that I've seen, especially you know in these sort of situations, one of the big ones is removing the barriers. You know, the, people have barriers to changing. These can vary from time obstacles, you know, I just don't have the time to do this new stuff or uh, maybe even changing the measures, the way in which we measure people because, you know, if I'm measured this way and then I'm going to behave, you know, to to achieve those measures. So find out what these are and work very hard with management to get them out of the way would be the, the right thing to do there. I recently read an article about building, you know, those agile organizations and there again... As suggestions that the tactics that we need to use is tactics that focus on getting these obstacles out the way so people can change. Another good one is explaining the consequences of not changing. It's the kind of so what, which is really important to, to a lot of people. But what will happen to me You know, if I don't change? I need to know that. How will I affect my team if I don't change? How will my colleagues react to me if I don't support them? Getting this really clear Helps me decide where I stand and what I still need to do to change. People ultimately choose to change. We can't really force them. You try to force somebody to change, maximum you're going to get is compliance. You're not really going to get the quality. They may do something when we're watching, them, but that's not really what we want. Last, but I think probably the most powerful of all is listening. <laughs> strange, but I mean really listen to, to what people have got to say. It's amazing how often you, you find different teams performing their work in slightly different ways. So change looks different to different groups, to different people, and listening to their objections and their concerns about the change can help us tweak the solution to work better for them, but it also helps them work out their real concerns. Also, listening shows that you care, and often that is really what people are looking for during a times of, of change.
1: But nowadays, you know, things change so quickly. We're bombarded with technology every day. Okay. (laughs) And even though the methods in a production environment don't change that much, because if you go to a mine, you know, those things don't change that much, but Mm -hmm. the technology that people are faced with every day changes. So isn't there a way that we can harness this to make people, to make the changes that we're introducing stick? Can't we use this technology that they are getting used to to help us with other changes? Oh,
0: yes. Um, you know, We must do this. I don't think it's an option. You know, people are whole beings. The more we can integrate, the better. So, you know, I'm thinking of a case where a railway operator was implementing a change in the way they tracked and controlled their rolling stock. They needed to find out, they needed to have, in fact, an effective way for their workers to communicate with each other about where this rolling stock was. So they integrated uh, using uh, messaging systems running on their cell phones. To send messages to to one another, you know, sending messages on cell phones, everybody does it. It's a, you know, easy to just have an app that does exactly the same thing, but you're just applying it in a in a very specific way. The other day, I had to visit uh, my client at Sasso to facilitate my safety. I downloaded an app on my phone and underwent a short training session before arriving at the building. So I would be aware of what to do, uh, you know, in the building and how to how to. You know, be safe, if you like. The smart thing that was uh, that that really impressed me about this was that uh, when I completed this uh, little app, if you like, on the system, the system knew I had done that. So when I arrived at the building, I didn't they didn't waste any of my time in reminding me of that stuff. They knew I had already done that. You know, for me, that's kind of smart use of technology that got me to change, uh, and I didn't even realise it. I actually found it quite uh, quite uh, interesting and quite pleasing.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, change is a personal journey for everybody who has to move through the change. Mm-hmm. as we know, we have a uh, we have a specific thing that we measure to see if people have they know about the change, yeah. they're ready to adopt it, they've been trained. Now they're being coached. Now we're going to reinforce the change. I mean, why couldn't we develop an app that shows you for c- certain populations where people in their change journey? That's a
0: great idea. I mean, that
1: would be great, and people can tick off if they've done, what they've done, and yeah. And it creates you creates a, a change journey amplified yes. almost.
0: And, and I think you know if we can make that if we can make that personal. So you know I'm helping to manage my own change, and it you know it's in the same sort of ways you know I've got this watch this this uh, this electronic watch that tells me what my heartbeat rate and you know that sort of thing. Why not Why not have something in there that uh, helps me manage my own change?
1: Yeah, I mean it, uh, it gives people the opportunity to be part of it. Yeah. And they can track their progress. Okay, I don't know enough about this change for me to move on to being trained on it. Sure. So you can do – I think there's so many opportunities in this yeah. space.
0: And it's live. It's real time. We don't have to, to run surveys, you know, because a lot of people are all surveyed out these days. You don't have to run a survey. Just by me communicating with myself mm. um, and, and giving you the opportunity to, to hear that output, you, you know what I need and you can give me what I need to change. Exactly
1: the uptake of deliberate and integrated change management i mean with project management mm. and everything else mm. have been i think quite slow in south africa you know if you speak to people um, and in the rest of africa so i don't know if you agree with that statement but i mean where do we see change management as a profession and a capability going in south africa and the rest of africa
0: well <laughs> i actually see this as a worldwide problem i don't think it's a south african problem only I'm amazed to see how in some ways the application of project management, for example, in organizations has gone backwards in recent times. It seems that we keep losing good project managers along the way. Change management, I think, is a little too new a practice uh, to see this same sort of uh, thing that's going on. We we are just uh, too short of change managers, actually, at this point in time, everywhere. So, yes, it's a problem in South Africa, and, and we have a lot of work still to do. This is, uh, but this too is one of the the big themes that we focus on on our website. This whole issue of integrating change management with project management. I think that when we reach the right level of maturity in project management, we'll have change management integrated into this practice. But don't misunderstand me. Uh, you know, change management goes well beyond project management. We have extremely important work to do in building change management as a strategic capability in organisations. This is a relatively new area of focus these days, but no less important than than getting each individual project to work well.
1: Thanks to my guest Tom Masticano from Ant Change. Also thanks to Tim Creasy from ProSci for the Easter Bunny story. Further thanks to Carol Ofori. It's her voice you hear at the beginning of the show. Thanks to Willem Nell from Acoustic Alien Audio for Sound Styling. And finally, thanks to Offense and Callum from Solid Gold Studios. For show notes, please visit solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash Unchanged. This is Pietro Dupassani, and you've been listening to Unchange.